0: And now, here are your hosts, Katie Beth and Stan.
1: Welcome back to the Legacy Leaders Podcast with your hosts, Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. Our guest today is business owner, financial expert, and author, Eric Miller. Eric specializes in helping practice owners across different industries achieve financial success. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited to have you with us today.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. So, before we dive in with the specifics of what you do now, tell our listeners a little bit about your background and really what led you into this field.
2: Yeah, I guess uh, my interest in the in personal finances uh, really didn't come till like later in life for whatever reason. And you know, coming from where I came from, which was Toledo, Ohio, you know, I'm either going to be a football coach, uh, a police officer, or a teacher and none of those really like, like excited me that much. So I kind of got into the financial world and tried to understand, like, okay, what is this? What are we trying to do here? What are we trying to accomplish? And worked for a um, mutual fund company for a little bit. But I always had the desire that I really wanted to teach and help business owners uh, with their personal finances. So one day, you know, I just decided to move to Florida. I had a business partner down there and said, "Hey, let's let's start this." So we did, and it was in 2008. Which, if you guys remember, that was not probably the best year to start a financial planning <laughs> right. company. And we decided that uh, we wanted to work with a very specific type of business owner, and we we kind of honed in on healthcare private practice owners because, from my experience, I came from a healthcare background. My family was in healthcare. They really focused on the medicine, the practicing, but they didn't know much about the business and the financial side. So we thought it was a really good opportunity to to help those types of people that really needed the help when it came to their business and personal finances.
1: Absolutely. And you've been in the business for a while now. Luckily, we've had many great years since 2008 when you decided to jump into that field. Tell us more specifically about the type of practices that your company helps. What type of doctors do you help? What type of businesses do you work with?
2: Yeah. I like to tell people that we work with types of people, but really and truly we're working with someone's household like our target is to work with that person's household it's to make sure that they are you know running their household like a business um essentially so uh, you know our target is working with their household making sure that they you know have the proper investment plan making sure that their debt management is uh, in good shape making sure that you know they're they're running their household like a business we just we just happen to work with healthcare owners and primarily in the veterinary dentistry physical therapy optometry and chiropractic space are the are the main types of healthcare owners that we work with
1: so tell us a little bit about with that being kind of your main client base tell us a little bit about a lot of the very common issues and mistakes practice owners deal with and how you address some of those things.
2: Yeah. The, the main one is this. Most of them went to school for seven years to learn how to be an excellent doctor, but they never really got the, any financial training, any financial education. So money comes in their practice and it just flows right out because they don't have any semblance of like, well, how do I control this? Where should, where should it go? You know, my CPA says I should do this, but it's not working, you know? So we we really try to make sure that um, they understand the basics of of money, uh, how to control it better, how to acquire it, and then you know most importantly how to expand it. But I think that to me is you know you look at a practice owner, they're good at being practitioners, they're not very good at being executives or owners. And we really try to make sure they understand that they have to they have to have some concept of what that means to be like an owner and an investor as well.
1: Yeah. You mentioned uh, on your website that they need to treat their practice like an investment. What does that mean?
2: Yeah. So, you know, if you look at corporate America, you will find that most of these big choirs use um, Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett. You know, he's got, he owns, I don't know how many companies, probably 60 to a hundred companies that he owns, but they're all for the benefit of the parent company, which is Berkshire Hathaway. So when you look at the households of America, there's 150 million households. Each one of them are like their own little parent companies, okay? Now, it just so happens that these doctors own a business. It's an investment asset. I mean, they pour all their energy and their time and their effort into this, into this practice. And the ones that are successful- um, financially, they treat it like an investment where the other ones treat it like a job. And I think that's the biggest difference is that we try to show them how to treat it like an investment asset that will be worth quite a bit of money if they treat it like an investment. And I think that's that's kind of the cool thing that, that we see um, when we're working with someone.
1: You also talk a little bit about the importance of creating wealth outside of just the practice talk to us a little bit about that
2: yeah i think the a lot of people tend to get reliant on one of something and i think we we try to treat teach people like never be reliant on one of anything so if you have this practice that's been i mean that's probably the main income source of most people right like that's where all their money comes from but it can do more than that it can be a um Think of it like a machine. It can like actually be utilized correctly to create other income sources. So as part of like our planning system, we make sure that as cash flow comes into the practice, that they are separating out a portion of that so that they can utilize that to invest in other assets outside of the business. And that could be real estate. It can be insurance-based products. It can be wealth management, stocks, bonds, whatever it would be. But it really is um, trying to get them to utilize the practice, harness the power of their practice so that they can create real financial freedom. And that's something that not a lot of them are doing.
1: Right. And again, something that they didn't learn about when they were in medical school. Right. No. No. I'm stealing all of all of Eric's time, Stan. I apologize. Uh, what questions do you have for Eric?
0: Yeah, I'm excited about this uh, conversation today, Eric, because so much of what you do, so much of what you talk about uh, is so I would say so directly relevant, just you know, to me personally and, and because you know I have a professional practice also. And I will say also, even though we have the same last name, to the best of my knowledge, we're not related. <laughs> I, I, I
1: made a note to be sure to mention that. I know,
0: yeah, you never know. Yeah. You never know. I've I, I always kind of thought that maybe all Millers in the world are somehow related. But uh, one of the perennial issues with the professional practice, you know, you, you said it's so common that people think of it. As a job and it's true because in medical school or dental school they don't really teach you how to be teach you the entrepreneurial the business owner side of it you know you, they teach you how to be a good dentist or a good veterinarian whatever and I'm curious to hear how you approach this one of the things that's really seems important to me in treating your practice like a business is learning how to make that business less dependent on you mm-hmm Right. Because if the business is entirely dependent on you, then, you know, you really makes taking a vacation difficult. I remember I took a vacation once many decades ago and somebody had given me a long story somebody gave me a two, three tickets to Hawaii. So I took my wife and we went to the Maui Marriott and checked in and I'm lying there beside the pool. You know, and and the the hotel was free and the plane ticket was free. It was even a first class ticket. And so but I'm lying there beside the pool and I start thinking about my overhead. Mm -hmm. And I started mentally calculating how much money it cost me every day to be there. Even though the trip was free, I realized that there's a cost attached to not being at the office because I'm not creating revenue. And it completely ruined the trip for me. I bet. And so I'm curious, you know, I want to hear how you think about that. I want to hear how you talk to clients about that and what solutions you float up clients.
2: Yeah. Well, look, I think this certainly is a um, important point for a lot of people that are that are that own their practice right now. Well, when you first start your practice, you're kind of excited. You're like, OK, I'm, I'm going to get this thing off the ground and. And, you know, I'm going to be the main producer, but there's really, you get to a point where there's only so many bricks, a bricklayer can lay in a day, right? And if you want to have something now where there's value to this business, to somebody else, you have to look and see what it is that they would actually want. And the last thing that a buyer is going to want of a practice that is going to write you a really big check with a lot of zeros behind it is the business relying 100% on you? That would automatically discount the value of the practice because it is relying upon you, okay? So in my journey in working with practice owners, you know, we started looking, I started asking questions of a lot of the buyers of practices, like some of the big corporations, like what are you guys looking at? Like what makes you stroke a check for $10 million for a veterinary practice, right? Or a dental practice, And there are some things that they say. And one of the things that they, they say um, almost, you know, unanimously is that if it's just a one doctor practice, that's relying upon that person's production, it does not have a significant value to it. So I say that because it's tough to get out of the chair. It's tough to like, try to duplicate yourself and write up your hat and, and, you know, do all those things. But if you do, the value that you could get from the practice could be three, four five times what the the revenue is. so just think about that as you're kind of doing your day-to day thing so that to me is the importance of trying to duplicate yourself so you're not the only one that's doing all the production so that would get a guy motivated right yeah
0: how, how do you move from being motivated to really doing that?
2: yeah. First thing is that you have to get everything that you do well out of your head and onto a piece of paper. Because I, I had the same thing happen to me. So as a financial advisor, you know, when we first started, I was the only financial advisor, right? And I was the only one working with clients. And I almost fell into the trap where it was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have 10 appointments a day. And it's going to be that way for the next 30 years. OK, I don't want to do that. So I had to write up everything that I did, said, and that was successful in working with whoever we're working with. Okay. I think that's the first thing you have to do is just like, write up what your hat is. Because if you can't write up your hat, no one's, you're not going to be able to turn it over to somebody else. So you have to write up these systems and processes and procedures that are successful. And it doesn't take a lot of time. No, just, I don't know, dedicate an hour a week, you know, and you'll be, In in six months, you'd be surprised at how much you have completed at that point in time. So I think that's the first thing is that you have to like decide that it can be done, right? Like make a decision, like I'm not going to do this forever and then start putting some action behind how do I, you know, duplicate myself so that somebody else can do this as well as I can. And, you know, once I did that now I got five advisors that work for me. Right. And um, that's how I got out of that dilemma right there. It's um,
0: initially, I guess we all want to think that you know, we're better at this than anybody. And we have to get our mind around the idea that maybe some of the people we bring in could be
2: actually better than we are. It's a 100 percent correct. Matter of fact, it's um, I, I, I am shocked at some of the things my advisors now come up with and do that I never would have I never would have done myself and it improves the process. It improves the client experience. And the thing you have to teach them is the standard. Like, what do you expect? Like, what is the standard? Like, what's the Stan Miller standard? Okay. And, you know, and I wrote that up too. It's like, you know, I expect you to have good manners. I expect you to communicate with people. I expect you to respond to people. You know, it's kind of all these soft skills that nobody talks about. I mean, yes, Having a high degree of professional acumen is important. Being competent is important, but you're dealing with a person one-on-one. You have to know how to communicate to that person one-on-one. If you can't do that, you're you're not going to be really successful at much. So those are things that I think you know everyone can do to make sure that they're not stuck in the chair for the rest of their lives. Uh, excellent.
0: That's really insightful, incredibly relevant. I'd like to pivot for for a minute and ask you I, I noticed that you that you 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 also encourage your clients to protect their assets from lawsuits
2: yep well <laughs> I mean it's just a reality when people are you know starting to get into this net worth of three million five million ten million dollars you are going to be a target and you know a lot of advisors like me we focus on the investment side and making money and you know you know, all those fun things, but, you know, it only takes one accident, you know, one health issue, one lawsuit, and you can get wiped, you know, a million dollars, $2 million, whatever it is. So, you know, you have to have some kind of plan to protect your assets. And the good news is it doesn't, you know, you don't have to go offshore. You don't have to spend these thousands of dollars that you hear from all these quote unquote asset protection people. You know, you just have to know the tools of asset protection. You know, there's state laws you can use. There's business entities there's you can use. There's insurance that you can use. And you can really, you know, protect 90 something percent of your assets, you know, fairly inexpensively. You just got to know what you're doing and have someone that can help you guide along the way.
0: I'm really glad you bring it up because that, you know, that that really is relevant. You know, the system, you know, in so many ways, the you know, the system is kind of broken, and it, and, and it really makes – it's really catnip for trial lawyers because, you know, you can – I mean, it's possible to just extort settlements out of fear that, gosh, if it goes to a jury, you have no control over that, and you could lose a lot more. So, I, you know, I, I totally agree with you that our clients need to build those walls around them so they have that, you know, the confidence that uh, – that the, that the playing field is, you know, at least level, you know, or maybe even tipped in, in their favor. Yeah. Um,
2: Especially if they have kids, you know, even if you have kids that are, you know, you, you know, 16 year old kids that are driving, I mean, I've had a couple yeah. that's happened and, but just having, you know, some simple as an umbrella policy, you know, can really, you know, be a, a yeah pretty powerful tool for asset protection.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, that should be a mandatory checklist item for every, everybody we work with that has a business yep. or, or professional practice. So, uh, well, you know, I think, gosh, Eric, you know, we may not be related, but we're really on the same page in many ways here. Uh, so how do you get clients to save money and like not spend it and put that over into investment accounts?
2: Yeah, I mean, you have to understand that there's a science of keeping money. And when I say that there's a science of keeping money, I mean that if, okay, number one, if you don't assign a purpose to money, then it will eventually go everywhere. Like I always use, you know, if you got 20 bucks in your pocket and it doesn't have a purpose, it may not get spent tomorrow. It may not get spent the next day, but it's going to get spent. All right. It's going to be used at some point in time. The other thing I'll tell people is that if you ever want to have reserves or savings or money to invest, you have to, you have to physically remove money from where it is. Okay. Because if you don't, then the, the money will eventually disappear. Now, how do you apply that? So most people that have money come into their business account. Okay. And if, we usually set up a automatic and systematic method where a percentage of that money, once it comes in, I mean, you guys all probably were told, hey, when you make money, take 10% and set it aside, right? Everybody's heard that. Okay. So we're just applying that to a business owner and saying the the first 10% of the money that comes into your practice, Okay. 10% gets set aside into what we call a personal wealth storage account. All right. And that money is not for bigger houses or cars or anything like that. That is for the creation of other income sources. So if I have a million dollar practice, $100,000 is coming right off the top and going into that account. Okay. And That is how I'm able to get people to save money that they never realized that they could do because, you know, people are just like, there's, and I know a lot of people are probably thinking there's no way I could save a 10% of my practice revenue right now. There's just no way you can do it. And I'm like, well, you could, you just have to make sure you understand that you're in control of the money. It's not in control of you. And we have to make sure that we physically separate it out because if you don't, then it's going to get spent at some point in time. So that's probably the single most uh, important action that I've done with probably over four hundred practice owners um, to get them to save money at a at a rate that's much higher than what they what their current advisors are telling them to do because most advisors are just telling them to like hey just put like ten percent of your paycheck into your four hundred one k you know maybe you're saving fifteen to twenty five thousand a year which okay is better than nothing. I'm getting them to save a hundred thousand a year. All right. And they're not missing it because of the way that we structure this. And so it's that's a budget a big difference. Yeah. It's a, it's a budget. I, item, right? like, Yeah. I treat it like an expense. It's, it's just like an expense. The only way you're, and it's the only way to really make sure that you have a profit is if you treat it like an expense. Right. So that's how I'm able to get people to, and it also creates a demand for more money too, because if I'm taking money out of this account, you look at your business account, crap, we got to make more money this month, right? Because it's, you know, but it's it's just one of those things. Money money is kind of a funny thing. You know, it is, it's created by necessity. And if you can create more necessity in a business owner, then, and you kind of set these other things up, then in five to 10 years, they're going to be like, wow, I'm pretty well off.
0: Like, yeah. So Eric, tell me what your relationship with your clients look what does that look like? Are you yeah. are you on retainer? Uh, do you meet with them every month, every quarter? I mean, what what's that like?
2: Well, I think if you take a look at I don't know, most advisors, the 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 service model that I've seen with most financial advisors is that they meet with their clients once or twice a year and do portfolio reviews, uh investment reviews, you know, go over retirement scenarios, And that's fine. But, you know, in working with the kind of people that we do, we had to integrate, you know, their business into this equation as well. So our service model is our advisors meet with our clients at least once a month. We're going over business finances. We're going over personal finances. We're going over expansion ideas, um, you know, reinvest. How do I reinvest some of my profits? Um, you know, along with, you know, my their personal investment plan as well. So it's a just a it's a high frequency like service model because I want to make sure that we're in communication with our clients as often as possible. I tell people your money doesn't take six months off. And there's always going to be like financial issues that come up, especially with a business owner, like all the time. So like and when I don't want to have a model where they're only talking to somebody, you know, once every six months and so we charge like a monthly fee to make sure that we stay in communication with our clients
0: like a consulting fee
2: yeah it's um uh, and we just call it an advisory fee so that and and they get you know other things with that as well we we do a a, bl- a brand new plan for them every year we you know create we have a system where we like have metrics and we can show them where they were from the year before mm-hmm. and you know we have some uh, other kind of bells and whistles as well But really, it's the relationship, right? That's important. It's like that person is their guide and, you know, they're going to, they bounce ideas off of them. And because we have so many practice owners, you know, we can take all that intellectual capital that we learn from all these really successful business owners and they know that, like, we know who you are, right? And we've seen the top 5% of your industry. And I can tell you exactly what they do. So that that really helps as well to build a relationship.
0: Yeah, it's, I'll tell you, it's really nice to not have to invent every wheel. Yes. It's really nice to be able to see, you know, to model the success of others. That just accelerates the process so dramatically.
2: Well, I think that's where a lot of advisors kind of fall down. They, they don't want to, you know, we've heard a lot about niche marketing and, you know, you have to work in a niche. And I do agree with that, um, but you also really have to understand, you know, And that was one thing I didn't really do well when I first started working with practice owners. I didn't know anything about their business. I had to learn about that. I had to learn like, what are your profit margins? Where does your money come from? What are your expenses? How much should you, should you be spending on staff wages? How much should you be spending on benefits? I had to learn all that. But if you spend some time and invest it, you know, it'll, it just, it just builds the relationship that much more where that client will never go to any other advisor.
1: Before we run out of time, Eric, I did want to talk for just a minute about your book. Because first of all, the name alone makes me want to read it. Financial Beast, How to Become a Financial Beast. Harness the power of your practice to build personal wealth and go out at the top of your game. Tell us a little bit about, again, greatest title ever. Tell us a little bit about the book and kind of what inspired you to write it and um, just a little bit about what readers can expect from it.
2: Yeah. So we were looking at a practice owner one day. I was, it was a, uh, he was a 39 year old veterinarian that we had for, as a client for like six or seven years. And he had uh, all of his, all of his, all of his debt was paid off. He had zero debt. A house was paid off. Business was paid off. Everything was paid off. He had like, I don't know, almost two to $3 million in in investments. His practice was probably worth 6 to $8 million. And I'm just looking at it. I'm like, my God, this guy is a beast. Right. And that's where the name came from because he had gotten himself in such a great financial condition. So I was like, you know, I should write a book like on everything that we helped him do in order to get into this financial beast mode. Right. And to get to a point where here he is right now, he doesn't, he he can work because he wants to, not because he has to. And that was really the um, kind of the impetus for the, for the book. And, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, what, what I had talked about before, you know, how to set up, you know, what accounts you should, you should set up, how to make sure that you're retaining money out of your practice you know, where should that money go? You know, and we talk a lot uh, about how to exit your practice, uh, what you need to do to make sure that your practice is going to be worth, you know, the like the top multiples, because I just wanted to take everything that we've learned over the last, you know, 10, 15 years and put it into a book that was simple, easy, and someone could read it on a plane ride and really say, OK, I, I can do this. You know, I'm a practice owner, regardless of what phase I'm in in ownership. You know, I can do some of these things to help improve my financial condition.
1: Yes, I love on your website, and for those of you listening, we'll link this for you, but on your website, I love that you kind of listed out the mindset of a financial beast. It's almost a list of mantras, things like, I'll always have money. My financial decisions are naturally right. Just some things we probably need to all wake up and look in the mirror and say to ourselves every morning, because, and you've seen this obviously in your industry, mindset really is, is such a huge part of the battle.
2: Yeah, you do need to t- kind of get all the, the negative stuff out of your head. And, you know, I'll say that every day sometimes, you know, I always have money. My financial decisions are naturally right. You know, I'm responsible with money. I can control money at will. You know, all these things that just replace some of the things that unfortunately we the bric-a-brac that we carry around with us, probably a bad word, but, you know, it's the best I could think of right now.
1: That's great. No, I love that. I love that. And for those of you who are listening, you can find that list of mantras as well as a lot of other information about Eric on www.econologics.com. And we will also link that for you in the show notes. Eric, is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know about that we didn't cover? Um,
2: I don't think so. I mean, it was, uh, it's, it's always crazy to me how much we can cover in such a short period of time. Yeah. So, uh, no, but thank you for very much for having me on.
1: Absolutely. Well, for everybody listening, this was the Legacy Leaders Podcast with your hosts, Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. And our guest today was Eric Miller. Again, to connect with Eric, you can visit www.econologics.com to find out more about what it means to be a financial beast. Eric, thank you again so much.
2: My pleasure. Thank you, guys.
0: You've been listening to the Legacy Leaders Podcast with Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller. For more information on them and the show, please visit PinnacleLegacyLaw.com. If you like what you've learned today, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.